bank branches, where the three key words before were always location, location, location. Today, they might as well be decisions, decisions, decisions. Should branches be closed? Should they be transformed? Should they be reimagined? Or should branches turn into something altogether different that fuses the best worlds of customer satisfaction and automation? To learn more about the current and future state of branches, we'll be talking with bank branch expert John Voorhees. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning in. It is great to have you on the podcast today, and we are at the end of season two, so we want to thank everyone who's tuned in thus far. While we're off, you can check out the archive of podcasts at BAI.org, and as always, our podcast can be heard through iTunes podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And today with us here, we have John Voorhees, a consultant advisor for Peak Performance Consulting Group most recently focused on the consumer banking industry, John has used his expertise to help firms in retailing, consumer goods, and the automotive industry. And if you've read his posts on BAI banking strategies, you know that he's clear spoken. It gets right to the heart of things. John, great to have you here on the program today. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. I like to talk. Closing branches, right? That's the big topic that makes bankers nervous. And yet there are aren't as many branch closings happening right now as people might think. Well, I, I think it's a great way to open our conversation. It's a topic that I know a lot about. I've probably closed more branches myself or my team than anyone else in the country. Um, you know, I spent 17 years at Bank of America and I led the retail distribution strategy function first and then the retail distribution execution function, new store building or ATM deployments, branch transformation, and branch closures and consolidation. So over the course of my career just at the bank, because I've been doing this kind of work for nearly 40 years at this point, we closed about 2,000 branches and wow. another 1,000. So it is something that you read about a lot today. People talk about, do we have too many branches, especially with the introduction of mobile and online banking. Well, the reality is most banks are afraid to close branches because of how the customers are going to react. So I think management needs to get its head around, do I have the right understanding of my network and how customers use it? And do I have the right analytic framework? And do I have a plan for how I want my network to either grow or evolve the phrase today you'll hear is everyone talking about branch transformation. And I think that's really where people don't have a good idea of what they want to do. If branches need to transform, then what do branches need to transform to? That's the $64,000 question. Customer behaviors associated with banks have changed a lot, especially in the last 10 years with the introduction of online and mobile banking. You start looking at the traditional bank, the way you would think about it would be you would take a box and you'd split it into thirds. And on one side of the box, you'd have the teller line and all the teller capability. And the middle would be the lobby. 
And then on the other side, you'd have the platform where the salespeople were. And the boxes came in all shapes and sizes, but basically that was the function. And nowadays, with teller volume being off by as much as 50 or 60% from where it was 10 years ago, you've got this setup that doesn't work anymore. It's out of balance. I think at this point, I've visited in my career something like 14 or 15,000 branches. And you walk in and you see 10 teller windows, but you only see two tellers. If at your peak capacity, you only need two or three windows and customers standing in line see 10 windows, they think you're understaffed and they think you're forcing them to wait too long. If you had the same experience, but you only had three windows and all three were staffed, customers wouldn't feel that way. So you begin to ask, what are the changes I need to make? Well, you need to reconstruct your teller line. You need to rethink how you use the space. And the challenge becomes to tear apart a teller line and to rebuild it's about $100,000 because there's undercounter steel, there's all this infrastructure in place to protect the tellers and the like. And if you've got teller lines that have BR glass, bullet resistant glass, which you see in many locations, they're generally about $10,000 a window. So you start getting all this cost to shrink the space and people say, is it worth the incremental capital investment to be able to do it. I think that's part of the challenge that's going on. And the second part is, as people continue to evolve or move the transaction part of the business, the platform side's not shrinking. That's where people come in for face-to-face -face account servicing. They open up accounts. They ask questions about their bills. Those behaviors still go on in the branch. So banks need to start looking at how do I invest in repositioning the inside of the box? How do I redesign it so that I have more of the space dedicated to taking care of customers and less of it to being transactional? Great point because a bank space is not something you can paint with a broad brush and say, all branches are alike. What types of innovations uh, are you seeing right now that really intrigue or delight you in terms of where branches are going? I've seen a lot of different designs over the last couple of years where people are experimenting with things. PNC has its little pop-up branch, which is essentially built in a cargo container, and they ship around and drop off in a city for a few weeks. The tiny branch, yes. We uh, featured that on the program a few weeks ago. Right. I mean, it's really not a long-term play. I could certainly see it being used at events and things like that. Uh, Bank of America, we had a couple mobile branches that were built into RVs that were used for emergency situations like power outages or floods or something. And they could literally be driven and open up on site in a supermarket or a parking lot to help out for emergency services and emergency cash needs and things like that. But things like Capital One has its cafes and I visited several of them and it's essentially a coffee shop and they have some bank staff there that can open up accounts and they can also do account servicing and they can take you into one of these universal offices to be able to help you out. But generally it's, primarily a coffee shop and that's almost the wrong way to think about it if you're doing that what's predominant well it's people sitting around drinking coffee and going online and using your free wi-fi i can't imagine they do a lot of banking business in those places and 
from my sources, they're more expensive to build than a traditional branch. Location is one of those topics that is beaten to death in the branch debate, yet with so much concentration on the closing or consolidation of branches, it seems that there's a very poignant question about which locations to keep and which locations to repurpose, close, condense. At Bank Boston, we had created a analytics platform for retail distribution that focused on gathering as much information about our customers, our locations and the geographies that they all sat in. So every year we would screen the entire footprint of all branches and say, is it one that we want to keep, close or move? Um, and then you start looking at the customer behaviors, which branches have those market characteristics that say we're not going to get a lot of growth, but where the customer base is already using several other locations and other channels. So if the customers aren't really wedded to that one site, you can close it, run a very limited risk of them leaving. They'll simply start going to the place they use second or third in line. And in fact, we were able to prove that time and time again. We did a four-year sprint of about 800 closures and about 200 divestitures. And in the closures, we averaged less than 5% incremental attrition. And that was because the customers weren't that upset that we were closing their branch. They just have to have a knowledge, it sounds like, or a built-in behavior that tells them what plan B is. They're already executing plan B. You know, they may bank at one branch near where they live, but they may also bank at a branch near where they work. And as long as you leave them some options locally, customers will be okay with that. When you look at what seems to be right ahead of us on the horizon, how might the whole branch game be changing? It's going to be hard to do all the conversions people are talking about doing. But you'll see branches being built. They're not all going to be small. They're going to be appropriate size for their market. But it's going to have a much greater emphasis on sales and servicing. In fact, I would say you're going to see a transactional zone that might have machines, they may still have a teller line or two, but they're going to look more like a fidelity office, right? More like an investment office than they're going to look like a branch office because banks will want to deepen the relationship with their customers. So one of the big strategies that we were implementing at Bank of America, they're still implementing today. They talked about it recently in some articles, um, is to embed a small business, a mortgage, and an investment specialist onto the platform in their top 1,500 to 3,000 branches. And by doing that, all of a sudden, they can bring the power of Merrill Lynch and the mortgage business and small business expertise to the customers, where the customers are already at. I think it's that kind of evolution. It's going to be much more on the platform side. You're going to see these offices be more advisory in focus. Branches still have an important role to play, and so do you. John, we're delighted to have you here today, and thanks for making the time. Hey, appreciate the offer. John Voorhees is a consultant advisor for Peak Performance Consulting Group, and he is based in Bellingham, Washington. Look for John on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, bank branches are significantly changing in shape and form. 
PNC has its tiny branch, which fits on the back of a trailer and goes from town to town. Bank of America has branches that are mobile and can drive out to communities in the midst of emergencies to give cash where needed. But not all concepts of rethinking the branch are equal. For example, a bank branch and coffee house may encourage people to sip the mochas and surf the internet, but it doesn't necessarily promote interaction with bank branch employees that is profitable and productive. Number two. Contrary to popular myth, it is possible to close branches with less than 5% customer attrition. Look at customers, volumes, and geographies in one united consideration. Customers, in fact, do their banking in almost all cases at multiple branches, the ones close to where they work, where they live, where they have other activities during the day. And number three. Expect the biggest changes in bank branches to occur on the platform side. Bank branches will resemble more financial advisor offices than the branches we've come to know. It'll all be about deepening the relationship between banks and their customers in areas such as investment, small business loans, and mortgages. John stressed how the human side of banking is going to continue to play a major role in branches. But how about the humanoid side of banking? We've seen the development of robotic technology taking hold in places such as Japan. And just recently, HDFC in India became the first bank in that nation to introduce a banking robot named ERA. Here's a little taste of what ERA can do and how it was unrolled to India's banking public just recently. Listen. Today, we proudly unveil yet another milestone in the history of Indian banking. Would you like to take a guess what it could be? How about technology that uh, gets me a loan in a few seconds? Is it possible to pay all fees through an app? Choose the banking service you require or make any number of requests. ERA will always be there to guide you. There you are, and love that sitar riffing at the end. Now, in addition to HDFC, we've seen BAI Global Innovation Award winner Mizuho usher in Pepper the Robot, and in Dubai, they actually have a dancing branch robot, which raises the question, why not here in the United States? How come banking robots haven't taken a hold? We're just going to have to hold out and see when banking robots will eventually take their place here, as a lot of experts are predicting. In the meantime, we do have Bank of America's Erica Technology and Capital One's utilization of Amazon Alexa paving the way for the next wave of humanoid banking innovation here at home. And while we're taking care of banking business here, don't forget registration is now open for BAI Beacon and that takes place October 4th and 5th this year in Atlanta. To learn more about the fast-paced Financial Services Conference, be sure to visit BAI.org. You can also check out our growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. That concludes Season 2 of the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. We'll be back June 26th with the start of Season 3. And while you wait for our next podcast, be sure to connect with BAI on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to stay up to date on BAI's latest and greatest. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Lou Carlozo, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you next time. So long.